0: You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. As a woman living today, I find it difficult to imagine a time when women were completely legally under the control of their husbands. Rationally, I know it happened, but somehow I just can't get my head around it. It all sounds so absurd and in some individual cases, terrifying. Kate Moore is the author of The Woman They Could Not Silence, a detailed biography about Elizabeth Packard. Elizabeth Packard spent three years in an insane asylum sent there by her husband. Kate, welcome to Feed Play Love.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: How did you come to write this biography? Why Elizabeth Packard?
1: Well, it was a bit of a topsy-turvy Genesis story, really, because I decided what I wanted to write about first before I'd even heard Elizabeth's name. So the Genesis of the book came about in the fire of the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And what really struck me about that time was not that women were speaking up, But that finally we were being listened to and believed. And that got me thinking, well, how have women been silenced and discredited in the past? And that made me realize, well, actually, for centuries, whenever women have used our voices, we've been called crazy. And I decided that's what I wanted to write about. I wanted to write about how women have you know, been called crazy and that has meant that we've been undermined and we've not been listened to in the past. And so I went searching for a woman who had been called crazy when she wasn't mad simply for being assertive and speaking up. And that's what led me to Elizabeth's st- story. And it's an incredible story, a story of a sane woman locked up in a 19th century insane asylum just because she disagreed with her husband And she was a phenomenal person in how she responded to it.
0: Now, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I did read that um, you actually went and looked at other cases that did not have quite as an inspiring ending. I mean, how often was this kind of thing happening to women?
1: Well, it it has literally happened for centuries. You know, I, I found quotations from the sort of 16th, 17th century about wives being locked up in mad houses and, you know, Daniel Defoe wrote about it and so on. So this has been happening, you know, for centuries and for generations. And you're right, you know, when I tried to find an individual around whom, you know, I could explore these issues, but even though I'm a non-fiction writer, I feel I'm a storyteller at heart. So I wanted to find one person's story. But, you know, I didn't know at that stage whether it was going to be the 16th century, the 20th century, the 21st century. You know, ultimately, I've landed in the 19th century. But I found stories of women, you know, lobotomized women um, who had sort of, you know, were sort of knocked out with chemicals and so on. Um, And the thing that made Elizabeth's story stand out was the way that she was able you know in the 19th century there were no lobotomies so she was actually able to fight back and she actually became the woman they could not silence through this crucible of suffering actually because her husband and her society and her doctor tried to say no you've got to be quiet you know you've not got to speak up actually that sort of you know steeled her so that she actually became more and more determined to be someone who could use a voice, and in Elizabeth's case, she used it to change the world and become an incredible political campaigner.
0: Speaking of the fact that this has been something that's been part of history for such a long time, I couldn't help but think about Britney Spears when I picked up this book. Um, Yes. Do you think that 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 is too long a bow in terms of how that particular case has been treated and how people have viewed that scenario?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's really shocking how many parallels there are between Brittany's story and the story of Elizabeth in The Woman They Could Not Silence, because... Here you've got a woman who, anytime she acts assertively, so in Britney's case, you know, she refuses to do a dance move or she expresses reservations about, you know, the Las Vegas rec- residency, she's punished psychiatrically. And that's exactly what has happened to Elizabeth and to countless women through generations. You've also got this situation that Britney legally was under the, you know, authority of a, a male family member. And again, that has happened to women For generations as well, you know, simply by law, they had no recourse to freedom because the law said actually, you know, in Elizabeth's case, the husband and the wife are one. That one is the husband. And it meant that wives in the 19th century had no right to property, to custody of their children, even to their liberty. You know, by law, her husband could send her away by request and without the evidence of insanity required in other cases. And I think the other thing that really struck me about Brittany's case was that she said to sort of get through it, she would post these sort of happy Instagram, you know, posts and things like that. You know, she had to sort of paste on this smile and pretend that everything was fine in order to stand any chance of freedom. And Elizabeth found exactly the same thing in the insane asylum. The only way women were allowed home was if they submitted to the masculine authority of their doctors and their husbands she was told she could be sent home immediately if she wanted to but she had to return as an obedient wife Oof. and that parallel for me was also really striking
0: that's oh so uncomfortable <laughs> listening just to that
1: yeah exactly. you, know, you can return home you just have to have no personality whatsoever oh,
0: and obey your husband um no. Let's go back a step. What do we know about the kind of woman Elizabeth was prior to her husband sending her off to the insane asylum?
1: Well, yeah, and um, she well she was a very interesting person, I think, because she as proven by what ultimately happened to her. She was always an exceptional person actually. So before her marriage, for example, she um had received an excellent education and she became a teacher. And at 19 years of age, she was the principal of a college in Massachusetts. So an incredibly bright woman. And she, you know, as in keeping with the norms of the age, she got married, she gave up her career, she settled down, had six children with her husband, and She was actually content with her lot and had her husband not sort of pushed her buttons, she probably would have happily continued in that setup. Um, What happened to Elizabeth is she became interested in women's rights. You know, there was a movement sweeping the country at that time in the mid 19th century that was sort of saying, you know, women are sentient beings. And, you know, as Elizabeth put it, I, though a woman, have just as good a right to my opinion as my husband has to his. And that was really the problem for Theophilus. Had he allowed her, as Elizabeth called it, spiritual freedom or intellectual freedom, actually she'd have been fine to continue as she was. And as I say, it's because actually that her husband tried to box her up that Elizabeth sort of sprang out of that box bigger and better than she had been before. And it was through this journey and this experience that she realized who she really was inside and then used all those exceptional powers of, intelligence and insight that she'd always had but hadn't used, she then used them to make the world a better place.
0: It is quite challenging, I think, as a a woman today to understand how people thought back then when Elizabeth was going through this experience. Um, Are you able, as a historian, to imagine what the prevailing thoughts were at that time? I mean, because we look back, or I know I look back on this story and think this is all about control. This is just they just want to keep women in their place. Did people actually think at that time that to question your husband, to um, have your own thoughts, to try and be more independent, that that was a sign of insanity? Did people believe it or was it about control?
1: Um, well, I think, I think it's a bit of both, actually. Um, the answer is yes, they did genuinely be- believe it. And I think for me, the most shocking parts of my research for the book were delving into the medical journals of the time, seeing what the doctors and scientists were saying um, about women and madness. And the answer to that is... They not only thought that assertive women were mad, that educated women, you know, were on the cusp of mental breakdown um, because, you know, women using their brains was seen as a dangerous thing to do. You know, that ran the risk of making a woman insane. But also, actually, not just assertive or educated women were seen as liable to go mad. Actually, any woman, simply the possession of a female body was seen as doctors, you know, as something that could cause madness. They thought that the female body, with you know the menstrual cycle and so on, the hormones raging around a woman's body, and um, they thought that this would cause madness. They called it something called a uterine derangement, <laughs> and of course, no, no coincidence that uh, the word hysteria, for example, has the same roots as hysterectomy. Um, you know, it's all bound up in this idea um, <clears throat> of women. You know, being liable to go mad simply because they are women.
0: Mm. So, at this time, um, in your book, you talk about the Women's Rights Convention in 1848. Um, Was it events like this that kind of sparked change amongst women and that fight for independence?
1: Yes, it definitely was. It, It certainly inspired Elizabeth Packard, and the same was true of countless women. And, you know, I think the people leading that movement, people like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, for example, they really changed, you know, American women's view of what they were entitled to and how things should be. You know, as I say, actually, you know, Elizabeth, she was unhappy in her marriage because her husband, frankly, was a boring, dull man. (laughs) Um, But she knew that that was her lot. And it was things like the Women's Rights Convention that actually made her think that things could be different and should be different. So, yes, it did change women's lives and made them see that there was another way forward and that actually equality could be something that they could strive for.
0: So these uh, these inspiring thoughts provoked Elizabeth to be a bit rebellious towards her husband, who was a pastor. Now, as you mm. say, he had her committed to an asylum, and earlier you mentioned that they didn't really need to prove that there was any... insanity involved if you were married did he even give a reason for her being committed
1: well what's interesting about Theophilus is he kind of changes his reasons as the story unfolds so initially really the sort of driving force behind locking up Elizabeth is given as religious reasons because She chooses daringly to leave her husband's church. Her husband um, was a congregationalist and, you know, um, a Congregationalist and a Presbyterian. And um, she leaves that church and goes to worship with the Methodists instead. And she did have some, you know, innovative ideas, actually quite feminist ideas about religion. And this was the initially the reason... That he sort of said he locked her up. That was the reason that the certifying doctors gave as to why she was mad, as this sort of case of religious insanity. When the doctors admitted her, actually they admitted her as a case uh, of excessive application of body and mind, or as Elizabeth put it, she'd been locked up by her husband for thinking. <laughs> but what I find interesting about um, Theophilus is he changes his story because as Elizabeth ultimately manages to get out of the asylum and she becomes this woman on the political national stage you know gaining attention so Elizabeth determines she doesn't want another woman to suffer as she has and so when she manages to get out of the asylum she determines to change the world for women so that another woman doesn't suffer as she has and interestingly as she travels and she says I was locked up for thinking I was locked up you know, for having a different idea about religion. Her husband then changes his story because of all the bad press, essentially. And he keeps saying, oh no, she was mad in her behaviour and so on. But if you drill down into what they thought was mad behaviour, it's things like shouting at her husband because he hasn't cleaned the yard. You know, this sort of, again, a long-standing trope of an angry woman being a mad woman. It's things like saying, she doesn't like her husband because of the way that he's trying to control her. Well, I mean, this, this to me is evidence of, you know, it's one of those tautological things. Well, of course she's going to dislike him if, she's trying, if he's trying to control her. But in the 19th century, a woman who hated her husband was mad because she was supposed to love her husband. Do you see what I mean? It was one of these things that they sort of t- tied themselves up in knots.
0: Um, so how did she eventually get out of the asylum?
1: Well, it's a a long story, which is partly what the book covers. And it does take you on many twists and turns. And what I think is incredible about Elizabeth is, as I say, she could actually have left quite early doors if she would agree to submit. And she determined that she never would. And she wrote, actually, in my case, this woman crushing machinery works the wrong way. The true woman shines brighter and brighter under the process instead of being strangled. And amusingly, how she actually gets out is she causes too much trouble. <laughs> so Elizabeth is described as having an irresistible magnetism. You know, we talked earlier about her having, you know, these exceptional qualities of intelligence and education. But actually, she was also just one of these people who had charisma and was dynamic. And she inspired the other patients that actually the way they were being treated was wrong. And so she inspired the other patients to revolt and to rebel. And ultimately, as I say, she was determined that she was causing too much trouble. And so the doctors let her go because they didn't want to put up with, as they put it, a source of unendurable annoyance.
0: (laughs) I love it. Um, So she gets out, but her husband tried to have her recommitted. And eventually, in 1864, she manages to convince a jury she was sane. But she basically, she lost everything in the process. Can you talk us through what happened?
1: Yes. Well, I mean, even the fact that she got a trial was exceptional um, because women weren't supposed to have trials at that time. As I say, the husbands had the authority to send them away. So she has this landmark legal trial. And yes, ultimately, she is found to be sane. But her husband then flees the state he sells their property from under her without giving her any of the proceeds he takes their children and you know she has no right to the custody of their children and he leaves her homeless penniless and literally just with the clothes that she is wearing you know actually takes her clothes as well so she has one outfit and she has you know all she has is this dress that she's standing in she has a manuscript that she's written in the asylum which people have told her is unpublishable and she has her brain and that's all she's left with and what is remarkable about Elizabeth is from this low point really which you think in the book should be a high point because she's just been declared sane and you know everything that has been said against her has been proven to be a lie but actually she's at rock bottom because she has no children, she has no home, she has no money, she has to start from scratch but Elizabeth is exceptional and one of the ways that she gets around this is she determines I will publish my book if no publisher will touch it, I will you know make it happen myself. She has no money, so really ahead of her time, she crowdfunds the <laughs> book. She goes from door to door telling her story, this story of the same woman locked up in an insane asylum by her husband, and and she tells her story and people you know, are so convinced by her charisma and by the injustice of the case that they give her 50 cents a time and she uses this capital to fund her books, which become bestsellers. And then she has, as she puts it, a platform of greenback independence. She she becomes an incredibly wealthy woman and from that platform is able to conduct her political campaigns and she's successful. She makes the world a better place for women and for the mentally ill. And ultimately, the book does have a happy ending. And as I was researching the book, that's what I wanted, because these are awful issues that we're dealing with. They're issues that still resonate today. And I not only wanted to write about this inspirational woman and the injustice she suffered, but I also wanted to sort of showcase to people, actually, you can, you know, you can use your own voice, even if people are trying to silence you you can use it to speak out about what you believe in and to make the world a better place too. And I hope people are inspired by Elizabeth Packard in that way.
0: Oh, it's an incredible story. i would probably be shaking my head for months (laughs) to come. Kate, thank you so much for speaking with us today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for, for having me.
0: That's Kate Moore. She's the author of The Woman Who Could Not Be Silenced and we'll put links to the book in the notes of this episode.